When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All rise. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center, broadcasting live here in Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. And um, we're thrilled to be here. And we've got a great show for you once again. Um, we're going to be talking with um, Daniel Kill of the New York, um, excuse me, Daniel, the New American Foundation. And they have a, a report out on um, the cost of NSA surveillance. And it's a really quite um, a serious report and um, kind of puts everything in context of where we are in that issue. And then in the second, uh, second segment, we'll be talking with um, Sharon Horn, who's um, the executive director of Human Rights in China. And she's going to give us an update on what's going on with Hong Kong and the protests. And there have been some ominous warnings from the Chinese government, um, similar to that which were issued just before Tiananmen Square. So we have a breaking um, story there we're going to be following. Finally, I want to say happy birthday to our friends at the Federal Trade Commission. They celebrated their 100th birthday last week. So um, without further ado, Danielle, are you with us? Uh, yes, I am. Thank you for joining us. And um, so you guys, um, well, first tell us about the New American Foundation. Um, sure. So uh, the New America Foundation is a uh, nonpartisan think tank based in Washington, D.C., uh, and we look at um, a broad range of policy issues sort of focused on how, how um, technology and technological change and new challenges uh, impact, uh, you know, um, American and domestic policy issues as well as foreign policy issues. And I work um, for the Open Technology Institute, which is our program that focuses on uh, technology and communications policy issues. Uh, so we, you know, um, we focus on on research and um, and writing and advocacy around uh, sort of making sure that uh, the internet is available, uh, you know, uh, for users to uh, communicate securely, safely, and have affordable access. Uh, so one of the big issues that we've been working on, of course, in the past year and a half, is uh, the NSA surveillance issue. So the, the reaction to uh, the Snowden revelations and the ongoing reform efforts in Congress. So you were part of a team that um, authored the uh, the report, the NSA's impact on the economy, internet, and cybersecurity. And how long how long do you guys work on this report? Uh, so we worked on a report. Um, we did about uh, 
we started doing research for it in, I think, February. Uh, so we worked a couple months of uh, research and interviews and sort of um, gathering of the facts, and then uh, it took us um, then another month or two to actually put the whole thing together uh, in terms of, you know, uh, identifying all the trends, actually writing the report, and then, um, you know, finalizing our recommendations. Uh, and especially sort of as as we were going along with the report, we were getting new information about new um, new leaks, so new information about what the NSA was doing, the new information about uh, business costs and, and other um, other sort of breaking news that impacted it, as well as um, uh, actually updates on the surveillance reform efforts uh, on the Hill. So if I'm, I'm like Joe Ultra Dense, and I'm like, well, what's the big deal about the NSA? What are, what are the, the, the the three main costs that you think I should be aware of? So the the first cost is just the dollars and cents economic cost, um, and that is the fact that um, the NSA surveillance programs, and especially the fact that sort of how much more we know about them now, has a tremendous uh, detrimental impact on the U.S. economy and on our sort of the technology sector, which is um, obviously a huge source of, source of jobs in the United States and rapidly rapidly growing. And that's, you know, we've seen in the past year costs to um, the cloud computing industry, uh, loss of tech sales overseas. We've seen foreign companies profiting off of uh, this new information. Um, the second big cost is the cost to uh, U.S. foreign policy. And so that's our ability to, um, you know, promote American policies at overseas uh, and our ability to actually work on internet freedom issues. And that is, you know, is a huge loss of credibility right now for the U.S. overseas as a result of this. And then the third is cybersecurity, and that's actually a lot of the revelations about what the NSA has been doing to deliberately weaken the security of the Internet for the past two decades so that it's easier for them to spy. Um, the big challenge there is that a lot of the products that they're trying to weaken are also products that we use every day. And so ordinary users are less secure um, because of what the NSA has been doing, and that is a serious problem from a security uh, standpoint, and it's also actually uh, an indirect economic cost because uh, you know you see more a rise in cybercrime and, and other issues, and companies having to do more now to harden their systems. Right. Uh, so those are my your three big things. It's you know economic cost, foreign policy, and then security. So let's go back to the economic cost. We were talking offline about you know Cisco. Um, you know, publicly talking about how the NSA scandal had led to what might have been a you know slightly promising third quarter last year, um, where they were expecting six percent growth in emerging markets, and instead was a twelve percent loss. And um, Cisco's um, CEO said, "You look around the world, and with emerging markets, I've never seen that fast a move in emerging markets." And that is something that when I talk with our industry peers, while there are exceptions, most of my CEO counterparts can finish my sentence in terms of what is occurring. And uh, Microsoft, IBM also had similar declines. And um, so this is definitely hitting our, the tech industry um, quite rapidly. Um, that's correct. I think, you know, we, the, one of the big challenges, and this is why there's been so much focus on the cloud computing industry, because it's such a fast growing market, but it's true for tech across the board. We expect a lot of new sales, right? You know, people, the, mm -hmm. the internet is expanding, more people are coming online, people are upgrading systems, they're using more and more bandwidth. So the expectation is that a company like Cisco is going to have no problem selling their equipment right now because it's in high demand and uh, and U.S. companies are are you know have been large and successful and selling their products around the world. Uh, 
So the fact that what's happened as a result is that people are afraid to buy buy technology from U.S. companies because they think it's been tampered with, uh, in fact, or they know in the case of Cisco, actually, as we learned that that it has been tampered with by the NSA, and the fact that now foreign companies have the ability to say our products are more secure, even if they're not. They're, they right. can benefit off of that. Basically, it's it's you know Snowden marketing. Essentially, you can say, well, you know, our our servers are based in Sweden or in Iceland, and so they're much safer. And that is, you know, that's hugely beneficial for them. And, and U.S. companies are paying the price. Uh, and I think that that Cisco is right. It's it, it, it was fast because the reaction, you know, was was very, was immediate. Um, and so that's the the joke is that some people make is that that the biggest winner of the NSA revelations is is Huawei, the Chinese company, because you know there had been there was a lot of concern in the United States and other parts of the world about purchasing Huawei products, and now they're saying, well, American products have been tampered with as well. That was the difference, yeah. In fact, and you know, continuing that that thread, um, the revelations have, have actually led to. Um, the China daily labeling U.S. companies as a security threat, and right. uh, you know, so you know, in the you know the pot calling kettle chapter, <laughs> um, and uh, and so yeah, it's definitely it's a big concern, and you're and and it's hitting cloud computing at an important point, right where it's really starting to boom, um, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden U.S. Um, it's like U.S. Um, competitors now. Um, have to you know are starting further back in the gate because of this, right? Um, in the cloud computing industry, you know, it's been almost half of the cloud computing industry was uh, based in the United States um, in the past few years, and so that is particularly one where if people aren't going to U.S. companies, there's a very good chance that someone else is going to step in to fill that uh, that vacuum. And, you know, we've seen a lot of evidence from there's been a lot of surveys and a lot of reports that have come out in the past year that say that the people who make decisions at companies about whether they want to host their data uh, with a U.S. company or with a, you know, a company based in even in the U.K. or in Canada or whether they actually want to move their data to the cloud, they're very suspicious. And that, you know, that like the expectation is that we're going to see rapid growth in those industries. And so anything that deters people or makes them think twice or makes them look at other foreign alternatives is going to impact your business. Right. And then, um, you know, I was looking into the, the, um, the Senate um, Armed Services Committee released a report on Chinese um, cyber, you know, cyber attacks on U.S. defense contractors. And this summer, we actually indicted um, several members of a, a Chinese um, you know, People's Liberation Army cyber attack unit, um, you know, for their attacks in the U.S. In terms of you know, basically engaging in economic espionage, and you you realize that when you know, Chinese you know, the Chinese premier came to the United States to have that summit with um, you know pre- President Obama in Palm Springs, you know what was a priority on the U.S. agenda at that time was to beat up on China on cyber attacks and cybersecurity. But the Snowden um, leak came just a week earlier and totally muted that, and it still to a certain extent does mute that. Yeah, we. I mean, our ability as a as a, a nation to um, that sort of moral high ground that we might have held to to, to criticize and, and these are legitimate and serious issues, right? Cyber attacks from other countries. The ability of the U.S. to to try to push back against that, it's been, you know, it's incre- It's very diminished right now. We have we're sort of facing a huge credibility gap because uh, 
it's very easy for foreign governments to turn around and say, well, you're spying on us. And, and we actually have learned a lot about what the sort of the NSA's elite hackers do. And it's that's really not good. And when uh, this summer, uh, when the Egyptian government, uh, they put out a request for proposals for a social media monitoring system. And they're, you know, one of the lines that, that you kept seeing in news stories and that they kept saying when they got criticized was, well, we know that the American government is looking at everything that people say. We just want, you know, we it's important for us to be able to know what's going on. It's, that's it's a very, the American that's way. A very challenging. Yeah, exactly. The fact that, you know, we had we have been a champion of internet freedom in the United States. That's a big part of the US State Department's uh foreign policy agenda that they developed under Hillary Clinton and that's been something that, you know, as the the country that invented the internet, we have been a force for making sure that it's you know, open and secure and that it is a place where free expression is protected and all of those things. And and those are still important American values, but our ability to actually, you know, back that up right now and our ability to actually convince people that that's a good thing is, you know, incredible. It's much harder now than it was a year and a half ago to, to say any of those things. And that's, that is, I think that's one of the other really big challenges that we've seen in the last year. And and you mentioned the um, cybersecurity issue and the fact that you know we've actually the NSA has created exploits and backdoors to a lot of programs and you know um, someone else can figure that out um, you know it may be hard and they may have the best cryptographers but someone will and and the cost to whoever is the victim of that will be huge and um, but related to that I think in in shifting the debate from the you know, away from cybersecurity to the NSA you know, it's basically frozen the debate over cybersecurity you know where it was at the time Snowden um was first discussed and um and so any progress that's being made towards you know elevating US cybersecurity standards you know as a means of policy have, has just stopped yeah um i think one of the, I think that's that's a correct assessment, and one of the um, uh, really interesting things about this is that you've, you're seeing sort of how the U.S. government was working to undermine itself, or how what the NSA was doing was undermining other efforts of the U.S. government um, in terms of that, you know, stockpiling vulnerabilities and creating exploits, which is bad from a from a national security perspective, and it's bad obviously for the businesses that are are dealing with this. Um, and has a huge cost. And I actually just I wrote a recently wrote a piece about the, the hidden cost of that kind of cyber espionage and what it what it actually um, does. And uh, the sort of the issue now is that um, it's it we're we're not seeing much happen on the government side to move beyond this to really talk about it. But we are seeing, and and I say this as a good thing, but. Uh, it's created a lot of you know debate recently. We're seeing the companies step up and try to do things to harden their systems, to encrypt their traffic, and what Google and Apple have recently announced in terms of encrypting cell phones. A lot of these are reactions to consumer concerns and an effort by companies to say to reassure their customers that they have uh, secure products and that they're safe. So they're do- they're working on their end, and we're not actually seeing in the government reform side or in the sort of like cybersecurity realm, we haven't actually seen the debate move to a productive place there. Well, you know things are, are bad when um, the financial service industry lobby actually step forward um, to ask that Congress you know step in and do something. And when you have <laughs> the financial services industry right. saying regulate us, you you know 
<laughs> something something's something's alarming there and um and so uh, you know that's a big issue but um now you have some recommendations as to with you know your organization i should say has some recommendations um that are spelled out in the report and uh what are the what are the primary ones that um you know because we all know president obama you know when the when, when there isn't an, an intruder in the white house um you know he he breaks out 10 to 11 um you know, Pacific time each week to listen to the show. So we know he's listening right now to what, to what you have to say. So what would you tell him? <laughs> um, so I would tell him uh, a couple of things. Um, and a lot of the things that, that I would say have also, and that we would say as our organization have also been said by the Privacy, Privacy and Civil Liberties Oversight Board and by the President's NSA Review Group. So this won't be new uh, to President Obama. So I think one of the big, you know, one of the first steps, and this is in terms of the uh, sort of restoring faith in uh, in U.S. the U.S. tech industry and in the government, is the reform of uh, the collection of you know communications and and data on Americans and non-American citizens. So the privacy protections that that you know. Uh, are meant to stop the National Security Agency from collecting everything. Those are those clearly need to be dealt with. And right now, Congress is looking, although they, it hasn't gone anywhere recently. You know, has the USA Freedom Act uh, um, on the table, and that's sort of we look at that as a good first step um, to dealing with one of the set of authorities that um, the NSA has to collect information. There's a lot more work to be done after that, simply just to sort of make sure that people know that. Um, that the uh, U.S. government has limits, that there's oversight, that there are limits, that this, that these policies have been carefully considered. Um, but beyond that, there's a lot more that is also not getting talked about. And one piece of it is increased transparency. So we've seen a lot of companies come out and um, provide information about the kinds of requests that they get from the government, uh, which has been a really positive trend. Um, but they they are limited in what they can reveal by the government, and we also need the government to come out and give us more information about what kind of data they're collecting and uh, and sort of where it's going, so that people actually understand what's happening, um, and that will also go a long way. And then we need to begin the process of restoring trust in a lot of the agencies and institutions in the U.S. government that have been impacted by this, um, whether it's to their knowledge or not. So the National Institute of Standards and Technology, which is the U.S. government agency that, uh, you know, among other things, um, creates a lot of cryptography standards that developers uh, around the world rely on. Um, when sort of news broke that the NSA had compromised one of their cryptography standards, uh, that created a huge trust trust gap for that agency. So, And they have initiated their own review process to try to deal with that, but sort of supporting that and strengthening that. And then, you know, putting in place processes to deal with stockpiling of vulnerabilities, uh, to talk about what the legal protections are um, and limitations on inserting malware onto target computers and, you know, sort of all of the things that we learned the NSA is doing that weaken Internet security uh, that as it turns out, they were doing both with and without the knowledge of companies. Those are all things that actually need to be addressed. People need to know, you know, the American people and, and the companies themselves need to know that there are common sense limits in place, that there are rules, that there are, that these are things that have been thought through and that it's not just the National Security Agency sort of doing whatever it wants. Um, so those are, I mean, those are the big three types of recommendations. It's We've got to strengthen privacy protections. We need more transparency and we need processes and oversight to deal with a lot of the rest of these issues so that it's not 
um, uh, we're not sort of in this collect it all and, and do whatever we want phase that we have learned the NSA was in in the past uh, decade. And, and the whole cryptology thing is, is cryptography thing is really disturbing. I mean, it's akin to um, tinkering with pacemakers just so you can study, you know, heart attacks. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and so talk about defeating the very purpose for which a function is created. Um, it just undermines everything, unfortunately. How, how optimistic are you about any of these recommendations coming to fruition in the short term? So I think that we, um, I think we can see there's, there's real potential to see movement, at least on the USA Freedom Act uh, in Congress. And then um, there's a whole laundry list of other issues that, that, Congress can take up, and there are some there are some real champions on the Hill who've um, you know been working on these issues. I think a lot of the other pieces of our recommendation are ones that um, don't require necessarily legislative fixes, which I think is also good. So I think, um, as I mentioned, sort of NIST has taken its own steps to create in you know uh, um, internal review processes and to bring in outside experts to sort of convince people that what they are doing is that they're not, um, you know, tinkering with encryption intentionally in order to make it easier to um, to crack systems. Uh, the U.S. State Department is working to try to re- restore credibility of the Internet Freedom Agenda. Um, it's hard. It's very hard because I think the impression of many people, both within and without the United States, is that the NSA has more power than a lot of other parts of the government and that that means that no matter what the State Department or NIST does, um, it may not be, it may not have a lot of impact, but I think that there is real potential for a lot of these things. Um, it's a long-term, a lot of these are long-term issues though. These are not, you know, the first year there's been a lot of momentum and there's been, um, and we've learned a lot about what's happened and what it's, what it looks like it's going to start to cost us. Uh, but it'll be years as we uh, – it'll take years to rebuild that. And that kind of – to me, that re- reinforces why it's so important that we actually deal with these issues because these aren't going to go away in a year. This, the impact of this is going to – of what's been happening is going to go on for a long time. And we need to actually start to think about how we can we can deal with that if we want to um, move on and not just sort of call it a loss. Right. And, and tech policy isn't something that we do well quickly. Um, no, you know it's it, it just because it's complex. There are a lot of different parties and stakeholders involved, and um, it's hard for Congress to get their arms around it. And uh, and so I think that's another hurdle. And you know, in fact, that they, they, Congress has more or less um, gone fishing until the election. Right. Um, it, it is definitely not an issue that moves super quickly, and that's and that's also where um, part of the point is that. If you take a wide-angle lens view of, of tech policy generally, you know, thinking about this sort of this issue that always comes up about whether technology outpaces the law and out, outpaces regulations a lot of times. So, so thinking about uh, what the oversight and the privacy protections are as opposed to just focusing on a, on a particular thing, and I think that's one of the things that happens um, sometimes is we get fixated on what's happening immediately. Uh, or we see a fight about, you know, the encryption that that a company has implemented that might impact one way that the government could get access to data or information. This stuff is going to keep changing. And so the point is actually that we need to think about what it is that we're trying to protect and ensure that we have strong protections for that and not worry exactly about, you know, what type of technology or or the length of the encryption key, because that's all going to change in the next few years. 
So we have information on the report and on the American Foundation at our blog, which is at cyberlawradio.wordpress. But if um, people want to learn more about the report and about the New American Foundation and the Institute, where should they go? Um, so uh, they should come to our website first, um, which is a good place to uh, see the report and sort of all the related uh, work that we've done. And we've been, we have continued to do, uh, you know, research and writing on these um, on these issues since we issued the since we put out the report this summer. But also, I mean, none of this would have been possible without the incredible work of sort of this an entire community of researchers and privacy advocates who are looking into this issue. So there is great information about um, all of these costs on the websites of the Center for Democracy and Technology, the American Civil Liberties Union, the Electronic Frontier Foundation, you know, organizations that are also that have been concerned about these issues for a long time that are explaining it. So that's also I, I would a, a plug for many of the other organizations that you, you can mine the footnotes of the paper and find information about. Um, and, uh, you know, if, if anyone wants to read the uh, president's uh, NSA review group uh, report that they published uh, last December, sort of looking at the programs and a series of recommendations, there's a lot of good stuff in there. Well, thank you very much, Danielle. Um, definitely check check out the study. Um, and kudos to Danielle. She was a Fulbright Fellow in Rwanda and actually taught English at a nursing college there. Quite impressive. But um, thanks again for us, and uh, we'll be following this. Um, could you repeat the URL for your um, foundation? Uh, sure. It's uh, newamerica.org, um, and uh, the Open Technology Institute is newamerica.org slash OTI. Great. And we just launched a new website. so We'll definitely check it out. I like the logo. Um, so thanks again, and um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to get some updates on what's going on in Hong Kong and China's most recent ominous statements after these messages. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Paywin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. When you started your business, you first listened to your professors. Now that your business is growing and gaining ground, you only seek out professionals. PPC Professionals, an industry leader for highly optimized search marketing campaigns with over 30 years of combined management experience. Our professional approach to every campaign helps you find every avenue of revenue so that you can not only stay ahead of your competitors, but get a return on your investment and increase your bottom line. PPC Professionals, personal, professional, PPC services. PPCProfessionals.com. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network. Through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. 
thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Bubblefast burst onto the e-commerce scene as a family-owned shipping supply provider back in 1999. The product line has grown, but Mark and Robin still own and operate Bubblefast as a family business. Being sellers themselves has taught them what online sellers need to safely and affordably deliver their products to their customers. Bubblefast is proud to be an active member of the community of online sellers. Mark and Robin sponsor seller meetup groups, share shipping tips and tricks through social media, and always love talking to customers and helping solve shipping challenges. Check out the website at bubblefast.com. Sign up for the Bubble Briefs newsletter to join the Bubble Fast family. Use promo code WMR to get a 5% discount. Or call Mark and Robin at 877-599-7447. Happy shipping from Mark and Robin at Bubble Fast. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Hi, and we're back. This is Ben and Kelly. You're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report, and we have our second um, segment today. We're going to be talking a little bit about um, the developments in Hong Kong. And we have some background information on our blog at um, cyberlawradio.wordpress. Um, and um, this is a, a major developing what's happening right now in China. And um, and just to put things in context, the um, Hong Kong for many years had, was ruled by the, the English. Um, and um, But they had it under a 99-year lease. And what happens with 99-year leases is they come to an end. And um, so in this case, um, in late last century, the British government negotiated the transfer of Hong Kong um, sovereignty to um, the Chinese. And under the terms of it, it actually created a unique status for Hong Kong. And under it, it was basically going to be one country, two systems. Um, Hong Kong would enjoy a degree of autonomy except in foreign and defense affairs um, for 50 years. Um, in addition, um, basically, they were guaranteed um, free elections and universal suffrage. And so what happened was this year, China came for – they have an election coming up next year. Um, this year, China um, issued a decree that said that candidates had to be approved by an electoral commission, which would judge them based more or less on their loyalty to China – um, it talks about um, the chief executive shall be a person who loves the country and loves Hong Kong. Um, and then in addition, whoever got elected then still had to be appointed by the Chinese government to their post. And so this caused quite an uproar because it really seemed to dis- vitiate the whole concept of um, 
you know, open open elections, and um, and so there's been tension growing with it, with Hong Kong. So um, for the 25th anniversary of Tiananmen Square, for example, there was a huge demonstration um, in Hong Kong's Victoria Park. You know, there was about half a million people there, and um, so um, that has been a growing situation. So this um, response electorally has created a um, a big row within Hong Kong and concern. Um, about um, you know basically their their status as it was defined in their agreement with the English, and um, so that that's um, that's kind of what has been fueling it. Now China has taken um, some actions that have actually caused some concern, um, and one of them is some of their re- more recent statements actually have been quite alarming because they mirror statements that were made at or around the time. Um, just before Tiananmen Square um, and when the crackdown there happened. And so recent um, events include they arrested, um, over the weekend, they arrested one of the leaders of the uh, movement um, and then released them 50 hours later. In addition, there is a um, one of the leading media um, figures in Hong Kong who happens to be a pro-democracy activist. Um, his house was raided. Um, last week, in addition, just before that, uh, a competing pro-Beijing newspaper actually published a obituary of him, claiming that he had died of AIDS and multiple other diseases. And um, so um, it's definitely uh, an alarming situation, but we will be um, talking about this more. We're just going to take a short break. You're listening to Cyberlaw Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. There are over 70 million active podcast listeners in the U.S. WebmasterRadio.fm reaches them all with the largest global distribution of any online business-to-business podcast network through iHeartRadio, iTunes, Stitcher, and the WebmasterRadio.fm mobile app, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Thanks to an exclusive private offer available for a very limited number of companies. But you must act fast. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now. Oh, yeah. My day is done. Time for happy hour. You're already done for the day? Yeah, because I use certifiedknowledge.org. Their PPC tools literally save me hours every day. How do you keep on top of all of Google's new features? Easy. With Certified Knowledge, their interactive learning modules keep me up to date. And if there's something I don't know, I can watch their video lessons without having to hunt around the Google help files. Great. I'm ready to expand my knowledge. Hi, I'm Brett Geddes. I'm the only leader officially supported by Google to teach the advanced track of the AdWords Seminars for Success. I personally recommend CertifiedKnowledge.org as your one-stop shop for all your PPC needs. Learn. Optimize. Connect. Be smart. Go to CertifiedKnowledge.org now. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. 
So let's just jump right in. Sharon, we've already talked a little bit about what caused the demonstrations. Why don't you tell us about what's the status, what's going on today, and where do you see this going? The demonstrations which are growing really uh, evolved from an original action proposed at the beginning of 2013 uh, by Benny Tai, a professor at uh, Hong Kong University. And he said that we should have civil disobedience in Central District, which is the business and financial area in Hong Kong, if the mainland government does not honor its promises to allow for universal suffrage in the 2017 election of the chief executive, which is the, 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 the main uh, chief officer in Hong Kong. And this has evolved into Occupy Central with Peace and Love, and which was supposed to start on October 1st. That was the original starting with National Day uh, in China, but it got moved up to September 28th, this past Sunday, because the students initiated a sit-in around the government headquarters. So then it all converged, and now it's really massively growing with the students uh, uh, coming together, and it's really a student-led movement now. And um, and as it grows, I mean, we, we, I read some of the statements that have been coming out from China, particularly um, the one report um, today that um, the Chinese Daily has said that the People's Daily said that this is a un, their position is unshakable. The protests are unlawful and harmful to Hong Kong, and if it continues, the consequences will be unimaginable. Um, wh- what do you think China might do, and, and can they get away with a Tiananmen Square situ- you know, uh, attack in the age of social media? Yeah, first um, to say that uh, that, that first this is uh, not a domestic matter for China. The Basic Law is an international treaty. It was pursuant to a a treaty with uh, Britain when Britain was returned back to China. Uh, China is uh, Hong Kong, sorry, is also (laughs) a party to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights. So the ICCPR, which is an international human rights treaty, um, uh, covers Hong Kong. So this has to do with international law as well as Hong Kong mainland law, the basic law, the constitution, which Beijing is right now violating. So the illegal action right now is the refusal to respect the promise for election of the chief executive by universal suffrage. So, so that's one problem. The second thing is, is that the media, the mainstream uh, media, for example, um, Weibo, which is the Chinese version of Twitter, mm-hmm. if you put in Occupy Central, which is Jinjan, uh, you will get a select, first you get a message that says in Chinese, in order to have more different views, we have had to take down certain posts. So the only post you will get if you do Occupy Central in Weibo is official or posts which only say uh, the economic impact will be terrible, will be disastrous. Um, we have a term in Chinese, it's called Wu Mao's, the 50 centers. These are people who are actually just being paid to post you know, these are the fake opinion makers. So the only opinions you're seeing in the Chinese Weibo, the online space, are official statements, official reporting, or um, comments that are only focusing on the economic aspect. But what's going to happen is this is something that Beijing and China has not faced yet. But what's happening in Hong Kong is a preview of what is going to happen on the mainland because it's already happening. And what is happening is a very well-organized, fully equipped, and 
uh, equipped with tech, social media, a cultural and Chinese identity and spirit that is incredibly strong with a clear sense of rights entitlement and their ownership over those rights. This is the civil society group that is engaging in this struggle. And on the other side, you have Beijing, who is trotting out all of the old tactics, which is internet censorship, uh, blocking a post, trying to control the spin on the internet, which has always been the policy. And on top of that, in addition to violating rule of law, they are trotting out the hard line, the threats, the intimidation, intimidation to the students, intimidation to anyone involved. And as you who uh, probably have read in the mainstream Western media, uh, you know, physical violence threats. These are all mainland tactics of control that we have seen for the whole regime. And uh, what has to happen now is everyone in the world has a stake in the outcome here because this is not a one-off. Whatever happens here is not a one-off. The question about whether a Tiananmen crackdown or a Tiananmen can occur, first of all, because this is the age of social media, and right. because you essentially, you, know, you essentially have, out of 7 million people, you have 17 million mobile phone subscribers in Hong Kong. So out of 7 million people, you have 17 million phone subscribers. So whatever happens, it's going to happen before the eyes of the world in live time. And the second thing is that the PLA garrison, the People's Liberation Army garrison, that is garrisoned in Hong Kong, um, are, are really governed uh, by certain guidelines that they cannot just be mobilized. They can only be mobilized if the Hong Kong SAR government requests it. So I think we, are, we need to monitor that. And I think the U.S. government, Obama, President Obama, visiting uh, China uh, in November, even before he goes in the preparatory meetings for that meeting, he really needs to send a message. And the message has to be that they must resolve and listen to the voices of the Hong Kong people in a peaceful, consultative fashion, because clearly uh, 87% of the Hong Kongers surveyed after uh, Beijing issued, you know, the NPC, the National People's Congress, issued its decision um, on the elections, 87% of Hong Kong people in the poll said we should reject it. So this is a moment, I think, for, you know, Beijing to engage in a constructive, consultative process with the Hong Kong people. And I think that the U.S. government and the international community really needs to be monitoring, but they really need to be encouraging the, you know, Beijing to come up with something, not the old tactics, which will not be constructive here because they are facing a civil society that is very well organized. Well, um, I know you only have a few minutes, um, so before you go, could you just tell oh, us a little bit about your... Five? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, just before you go, could you just tell us a little bit about your organization and how you can, people can get more information on you? Oh, terrific. Thank you. Um, Human Rights in China, my organization, is based in Hong Kong and New York. Uh, we have just uh, compiled a website page for Hong Kong. You go to hrichina.org, 
and we have compiled resources and ongoing timeline, um, and we're, we have our staff on the ground also reporting live time. So we encourage your listeners to monitor this closely because the implications are, in, are important not only for Hong Kong people and for China, but I think, as I said, really for the whole world. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate you taking the time with us. Oh, not at all. Thank you. And um, so this is, you know, as we said, this is a very important issue. And you know, for those of you who may remember Tiananmen Square, just the um, how the world watched and both with first amazement as this demonstration grew and then with horror as it was crushed. And uh, so having seen that, um, we watched this with a heavy heart. And uh, we hope and we pray that this, um, this is something that doesn't turn violent and doesn't turn tragic. But, uh, you know, so it, in some ways it's very uplifting to see the way that the spirit of democracy can compel a nation to movement. And, uh, I mean, Hong Kong's a huge city and they have actually shut down, um, you know, for four days now. And it's, it's quite an achievement. Um, and it shows the power, not just of an idea, but also technology. Um, the ability of um, mobile phones and other technologies to, to get and mobilize people. And um, for years, the Chinese government has been afraid of technology. And they have been cracking down on the internet and netizens. Um, you know, I met one Chinese activist who, um, when I met him, I'm sure the numbers changed. But when I met him, he, had, he was on his 17th blog. And it wasn't because he's a big fan of blogs, but because numbers 1 through 16 had been shut down by the government. Um, you know, people have to publish books, you know, kind of through, um, you know, un- under the ground and through, you know, basically social networks. And, you know, they have bestsellers overnight that aren't even, you know, published in, in mainstream networks. So it's really an interesting situation. Um, obviously, China being the military power it is, the economic power it is, um, creates just a lot of complexities in, in terms of how this will play out. Um, also, it creates complexities here and to what extent U.S. companies and U.S. technology are being used to further um, internet repression or to you know appease internet repression. And um, you know, that's something we have to discuss. And, and this kind of ties into our first segment with the whole discussion of the moral high ground and in this area and the internet freedom agenda and to what extent our NSA practices have damaged our ability to pursue this. You know, it, had this not happened, had this um, had we been in a different state, um, our ability and President Obama's ability when he gets to China next month um, would be quite different. And so um, these are important things. You know, the uh, I think it's um, the famous book Soft Power talks about that. You know, our ability um, and the strength of our government isn't just in um, the weapons we possess, but it's in the ideals we uphold. And, uh, and so the NSA scandal, scandal goes right to that point. Um, but at the same time, you know, what's happening with China in terms of cybersecurity and cyber attacks is, is really alarming. And, uh, you know, the fact that the U.S. Department of Justice has indicted um, officers in the People's Liberation Army, um, and not that we expect necessarily the Chinese government to turn them over, 
but it definitely states, makes a statement that we believe China's gone too far. Um, but the Chinese government is, you know, at this point, um, doesn't believe that we're in a position really to pursue that too much. So, um, that's all. That's all I'm gonna cover on that. But we only have a few minutes left, and I definitely want to make one last shout out to the FTC. Um, congratulations on a hundred years, and uh, you know, it's definitely been a vital. Um, Agency in protecting consumers and um, free competition. Um, they they deal both with consumer fears and um, mergers and acquisitions in in order to protect that which is unfair and deceptive in interstate commerce. Um, we've had a number of their people on our show, and uh, definitely um, congratulations. They're going to have a big celebration in November, so we'll have more information on that. Also, want to mention uh, very briefly. Um, Upcoming is the California Bar is going to have its IP um, annual IP Institute, and that's going to be in um, in Anaheim, um, and that will be um, coming up. It's the State Bar California annual IP Institute, November sixth and seventh um, at the Hyatt Regency in Orange County. Um, registration has already started. It will be in. Um, Garden Grove again, just just south of north of Disneyland. So, um, which by the way, um, the Disney World was open today in Florida this many years ago today on this date. But on um, the 39th IP Institute, I'll be presenting on Internet Law, the latest updates. So um, you can see me there. I look forward to meeting any of you. But definitely, it's it's um, one of those the um, banner IP events for the Cal Bar. The 39th Annual IP Institute, Celebrating Creativity, November 6th and 7th in Garden Grove. So definitely check out the CalBar website, ipsection.calbar.ca.gov. So definitely check that out. But um, I want to thank all of you. We only have a few minutes left. Um, congratulations to the Kansas City Royals. What a great way to come back to the playoffs after being gone um, 29 years. Welcome back. And um, we will see you next week. This is Bennett Kelly broadcasting live from the Internet Law Center. Check out our website at internetlawcenter.net. And, um, and so for more information on today's show, check out our blog, cyberlawradio.wordpress. Check out our Twitter feed at cyberlawradio. This is Bennett Kelly. I want to thank our producer, um, the indomitable um, Jorge Brasco. Um, thank you for all our help. And um, we will see you next week. Court is adjourned. This is Ben and Kelly. Have a great week. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, 
but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.